Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, and from struggle to success, we're covering it all. To all the returning listeners, thank you for listening to my voice week after week. Thank you for sending me messages. Keep doing that. And for all the new listeners, welcome. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you'll go back and listen to more episodes. I hope you'll listen to future episodes. I hope you'll join me. As many of you know, one of the many things I like to cover on the show is how to improve mental health and just how to deal with bad days and struggles. That's why it's from struggle to success and everything in between. But for that reason, I'm excited for today's guest, Swachi Survey. Swachi is founder and CEO of LightSprite, which is a new way for employers and employees to experience mental health benefits. Swachi, welcome to the show. I would love for you to introduce yourself and give, I, I can't do uh, the perfect introduction here, right? So it's up to you. Tell me who you are. Let everyone know what you do and, and what LightSprite's all about. Sure. Um, so I'm the founder and CEO of LightSprite. Um, and I'm an engineer by training. So I have a bachelor's in biomedical engineering and I have a master's in mechanical engineering. So um, I like to build things and I like to create. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a tinkerer, um, although probably not as good as I would like to be, like, because I have a tendency to take things apart, but I can never put them back together again and get them working again. I tried to do that one time. I'm going to really I'm going to really date myself because I'm really old. Um, but, uh, I was trying to, I got really curious about an answering machine one time and I thought it would be fun to, 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 to disassemble it. I couldn't put it back together. Oh, <laughs> that is, yeah, that's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's old school. <laughs> no, no, I just mean, I would, I never looked at an answering machine and thought, hmm, I want to take you apart. <laughs> one of those things <laughs> you know <laughs> so um and and for me um what i've really been what's really driven my personal interest is that intersection between health and technology and how do you create technology that people can use for themselves to 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 take care take care of their health and improve it um and that's really been my passion hence the biomedical engineering and even um when i was doing mechanical engineering it was around biomechanics so studying how people walked for example mm -hmm. so um and my roles i before launching light sprite i worked in a variety of corporate roles but these were a little different um i was working in large companies so i started my career at nike i mean excuse me at kodak Mm -hmm. um, and then I was recruited by Nike, uh, and um, and then I also worked at Microsoft and at T-Mobile, 
um, are some, some, some of the global brands that I've worked at. I've worked with a lot of, I've also worked in nonprofit and radio. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've done that. Um, I was doing business development for public radio international. Um, I've done a smattering of things before launching into Lightsprite, but the core, core focus that I had, um, was, really about or the the roles I was playing was around incubating and creating new ideas or business opportunities for all of these organizations. Um, They were at inflection points where they knew disruptive technology was coming down the pipeline and they Mm -hmm. wanted to position well to take advantage of those um, and create revenue for the company. So, uh, and so these were generally incubation groups, research in research labs, um, that's where I came, but I was an entrepreneur in residence. So not just, and I was focused on that intersection of outside of the radio one that can't really do healthcare (laughs) focus, but most of the other ones were all focused at the intersection of healthcare and technology. And, and how do you create, um, products? How do you create businesses? How do you commercialize these emerging innovations? Also from a business strategy perspective, what's, if, if, if Nike, for example, I was recruited to work on wearables. So what's the company's position in that, in that space? Now, mind you, this was um, in 2001. Okay, so there was no wearable technology at that point. That's true, yeah. It was a little bit before then. <laughs> Yes, um, it wouldn't be another full 10 years before with with proliferation of mobile and adoption of mobile that you would see that opportunity come up, right? But but that, those were the kinds of questions I was the, the talk, thinking about. Those were the kind of the strategic um, uh, trade-offs and, and, um, and proposals we'd have to make um, generally to senior leadership. So... It positioned, and I even worked in an insurance, health insurance company right before um, I had launched Lightsprite. So, and, and, and that was also to help them with um, the ACA. I was in corporate strategy and helping them figure out how to respond to the ACA. So it was a lot of that, uh, you know, and what that all of those things taught me was um, a couple things. It taught me how to evaluate an idea, identify an opportunity for the future. Um, I apparently was good at it, which is why I kept getting these roles. <laughs> That's always good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, and, and I also gained a really deep appreciation of the role technology has and doesn't have if you're especially trying to address health issues and health concerns. Because mm-hmm. in those roles, it wasn't just consumers I would talk to. I would talk to doctors. I would talk to healthcare systems. I would talk to insurance company um, executives, right? In, in, a, in a variety of in a variety of ways through these different roles, and and I really began. And I talked to patients, right? And so I really began to get a deep understanding of of not just the the business challenges in healthcare, and and that's hard. But, um, and th- those are complex, but also what does a patient need ultimately, right. which has always been my thing. So is to help, help the end user, help the patient in this case. 
And so, and, and, and what I found is that it's individual motivation, not the technology that really matters. So the technology that enables um, inspiration, it empowers, it makes things easier for a patient, then you're going to start to see that behavior change and they're going to feel like, and they have the tools at their disposal to make the changes that they need. So seeing that, and then when I was doing it, because like all along, I was always tinkering on the side, trying to figure out, well, maybe I should do my own thing. And there were a couple of ideas. which you tinkering? <laughs> which are frankly are billion dollar business ideas now um mm-hmm. which is fine um but i didn't it, they, i didn't feel like i was the right person for those so like in 2001 2002 i was thinking well wouldn't it be great if you could rent clothes yep <laughs> and That's i'm like so funny and I'm like, you know, I really don't. And at that time, you know, you really kind of had to go to centers where things were. Mm-hmm. And you know, my vision of it was, you know, I just don't want to live in New York. <laughs> I like it. I was in upstate. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> don't like, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a sex in the city kind of girl. So I'm know. with you. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's cool to visit. I love it, but it's yep. just not me. And I, I grew up in Chicago, right? Like I'm a Midwesterner, so it wasn't like a big city was out of, out of, uh, out of the uh, something I wasn't familiar with, you know. And and right. like I said, I, when I lived in upstate, I'd go up a lot. I'd go down to the city quite a bit, so I knew it. But I was like, I don't really, I don't want. I'm not feeling it. So, um, but yeah. And plus, I think, I think for that to happen, I just couldn't figure out. Like for me, like I just didn't feel like I was the right person for that idea. And I was like, um, and like I don't, I, I couldn't figure out the logistics, the logistics behind that. I'm like, wow, this would be really, really hard. Like, <laughs> and it's going to take a lot of money. And <laughs> I don't have money. And and at that time, you think it's hard fundraising now? Back then, they weren't, you You couldn't even get a meeting with like an investor, right? Like if you were a person of color, let alone, like they weren't, gonna, I, they weren't, they would, if if I talked to investors back in the day, I would have to wear a wedding ring just to make sure that they would behave properly. And even then they wouldn't necessarily, oh, oh um, yeah, I'd have to like fake a wedding ring. Um, some of the questions I would get asked um were were pretty i mean you know we've all heard the horror stories right and mm-hmm. and and that that's the way it was so i was just like i like i, I don't see how this is going to be possible right. <laughs> those were one of the ideas that i had but back to light sprite um i had seen some of the early uh indicators um and in 2000 there were some peer reviewed journals talking about gaming improving in that case, it was, and this is a very, very well-known published study um, in the community. Um, it was a video game called Snow World, and it helped burn victims do their physical exercises yes! without without any morphine. And it was VR, right? So I'm like, wow, someone's going to make this happen. It's going to come, right? And, you know, that was 2010 years later. 
still haven't seen anything. And we comes out, Xbox with Connect comes out, and I'm like, why hasn't this taken off yet? Right. And then I see more, I'm like, okay, well, consumers certainly want it, right? They're mm-hmm. buying these units and all that. So it's like, okay. And and then when I started doing more research and reading the papers, I saw that um, gaming could, in fact, improve health outcomes, but they weren't focused on, they were, those were all physical games. Very few were focused, and those are all mainly like for health reasons, like healthy games, extra gaming, as they call it. But very few, if you look now from the business side of healthcare, where the cost is and where the problem is, is people have a lot of chronic issues and are really sick. They're the high cost individuals. So no one was looking at that. So I said, well, what if we created a platform that could create games that could actually help with help people with chronic conditions. And and then looking at that, and now this is 2013, so no one's really thinking about mental health at, at this point in time. Um, and, and in fact, a lot of people are like, why, why are you doing mental health? Like, who cares about that? That was the reaction, right? But it was an underserved air, uh, air, uh, industry from many perspectives, from a technology perspective. Um, but it also made it harder to create a business because the backing wasn't there. Even the healthcare community wasn't there. Um, but I said, you know, I think there's an opportunity here. And so we started um, working in mental health as the first start. Now, the other component of Light Sprite that's also equally important is that the games themselves collect valuable data that we can give back to the provider or the insurance company um, or even the employer in an anonymized, secure fashion to ensure privacy. And then that, that data is used for remote patient monitoring. It can be used to help with member experience. It can help employers address burnout with employees, especially in hybrid and remote work environments. So, so there's a whole data channel and what can happen is over time with the, the high, the unique data that we collect, we can actually start to build models that can be used and in, for predictive risk, a predicting risk. And in the case of mental health, um, predicting an individual who maybe have, maybe at risk for suicide. So that's how I got started. Um, a little meandering here and there, uh, <laughs> uh, but a common thread. And, and, and so I've been doing this since, what, 2013 now, um, bringing it to the forefront. And so tell everyone a little bit about what LightSprite does and how it works. I know you mentioned some of the things that it can address, but I want to get into like how you actually are able to then service people. Sure. So um, with mental health, we've built a clinically validated mental health video game uh, called mm-hmm. Cinesprite. Um, and what that does is it's a, we call it, it the, the format of the game is called, it's a player driven world exploration game or choose your own adventure more commonly known. <laughs> and we have a little protagonist, Socks, Fox, Socks is with me today. Um, uh, keeping me company, um, but Sox wants to be a Zen master. And so what happens in the game is that players learn a range of skills 
as they help stocks become as investors. So, and, and that's the unique piece of this is that we actually are teaching skills, but we're not focusing just on one, but we are presenting a range and we teach by doing. We don't teach by, by lecturing, we teach by doing. As one, one player who said to me, I have had anxiety all my life um, and struggled with it. I've used all the apps out there all the meditation apps, they don't work. But in yours is the first one that doesn't even talk about stress. You just get in there and do things. Oh, I see. Okay. So you don't yeah. talk about it, which is not stress. Like, and, it, and it actually doesn't stress me out using this app. Okay. So, so that's the, the player experience. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And so, and these techniques that we teach, we teach a range, as I mentioned, and those are uh, journaling, there's diaphragmatic breathing, there's uh, uh, meditation, there's uh, a multiplayer experience with gratitude. Um, So it's a range of skills that we teach, and these are all evidence-based and and, uh, mindfulness strategies that are proven to improve stress. Um, and, and reduce stress and, and improve uh, anxiety and depression symptoms. Um, and then the other way the game works is that the, the framework that all of these experiences, we, we have mini games, so we teach these in the form of a mini game. The mini games themselves um, sit on a framework uh, which is called Bandura social cognitive theory, and that's designed to improve a player's self-awareness and their self-efficacy. So what ends up happening is, as I said, we teach by doing. Mm-hmm. And the other, other piece of it is that it becomes an experience and a place for people to go. Um, and that's what people say. It's a place for me to go. It's a place for me to explore. It's a place for me to... Um, process my emotions in a way that mm-hmm. that I can't anywhere else in a non-judgmental way. It's at my pace. I direct it. I like so, that. So that, that's how Cinesprite works. And it's easy. It's meant to be done in less than five minutes a day. Um, whenever, you know, and that's what we've seen. Um, speaking of New York, I have a lot of friends in New York. I love them. And um, I've heard some reports where people have, have been able to um, do some meditation while on the train or in the bus. Um, so some high, high, high traffic, high noise area, but it's, 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 it's pretty easy to implement. And that's the point of the, the experience itself. And can you go over how you actually get it to people? Because I think this is one of the unique parts of how SimSprite works. Um, and I know that you go through employers quite a bit. So how did that, Can first, can you go over that model? And then second, can you talk about why you kind of chose this method or how that came about? Sure. Um, yeah, it, that's an interesting one because everyone always asks us, they think we're a consumer company, consumer facing company, but most healthcare startups for their a real monetization model, they're generally enterprise. So they're going to sell to one of 
three customers. We're going to sell to an insurance company, they'll sell to a health system, or they will sell to an employer. Right. And so, um, and, and prior to the pandemic, where we were seeing interest were from uh, health systems or providers um, and insurance companies. So that's what we were focusing on. And frankly, a lot of the work that we were doing, um, we were, you know, our clinical validation, uh, the work that we, we were doing around you know, even getting paid and the reimbursement pathways, um, that was all to address those, the needs of that customer base. But then when COVID hit, um, we ended up, um, uh, uh, we started getting inbound requests from employers. And they were saying, and I'm sure everybody has experienced this themselves or they saw a lot of people were really struggling um, in 2020, and 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 for good reason. It was not a great year <laughs> in a lot of ways. So um, and so we said, okay, well maybe there's some untapped business opportunity here, and and we continue to get inbound requests, and so so we're now um, offering. We have a free version that anybody can download. Um, on the app store for Cinesprite. Um and and maybe you can include those in the links or something. Yes, absolutely, um, of course. Um, but but um, so we have a free version, so that part of our mission to make sure everybody has access to some tools is there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then um, we have an enterprise version for employers that they can then roll out to all of their employees. Okay. And can you tell me about how you decided to go with that model? Or, well, I guess a better way of saying it is, what are some of the benefits and drawbacks of being an organization that works on the employer to employee side rather than kind of more direct? Like, and I know you have a version of the app store um, now, which is awesome. Um, but what are kind of the benefits of doing the health insurance way versus going straight to the app store? Yeah, um honestly it's it's very difficult to so I'm 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 a I'm a cons- believe it or not I'm, I'm really conservative when it comes to like commercializing a business. <laughs> I, and much to the probably irritation of of some of my investors. <laughs> I believe I want to build a sustainable business that will generate revenue and and will I build, I, I want to have a legacy. I want to build something that will last, um, that will have some, some longevity, right? I'm mm-hmm. not here to, to pump up a company, you know, get the valuation pumped up and then, you know, exit. And then there's no product again. I, that's, that's because I'm an engineer and I want to mm-hmm. build something. If I build it, I want people to use it and it should work and it should, it should be of, of quality. Right. Um, so if you look at so I'm really conservative when it comes to also like launching a business. I've never frankly understood the unit economics of how app-based in and even traditional game like I know how traditional games work. Like traditional games that's a different story, right? Like I totally get mm-hmm. how they work. But it, like when you talk about mental health resilience or these health apps and stuff. First of all, in healthcare nobody pays for it. Believe it, it's ironic. 
no one will pay for anything, especially in the U.S. Because the assumption, or they didn't. Well, my, I pay. I pay my insurance for this, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's one thing. So it's very hard in health and well-being to monetize. And now, if you talk about an app, what are you monetizing? Right. Okay. Like, what's what are you actually? What's the consumer paying for? And so. A lot of these companies, they end up in this content model where it's, hey, we've got this new thing for you to listen to. We've got, right? And it, 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 it's content. Mm-hmm. And again, we teach by doing. We don't teach by telling. We teach by doing. And so, and, and I just couldn't, I just honestly couldn't get the unit economics like in my head, I'm like, I don't understand you, the, the amount of marketing you have to spend. Now, granted, interestingly enough, our marketing, when we did, we did some trialing on Facebook, right? Just to uh-huh. see what the general response is. And, and one of the things about healthcare is you have to run dual paths because your buyer is to generally, like even an employer, they're less conservative than an insurance company or a health system, right? And understandably so, right? Because there's risk associated, especially when you're talking about mental health. Like there, there's good reason for the conservatism. So I'm not saying that. But when the buyer is that conservative, you have to de-risk it to them. And the way that you have to de-risk it is to show that, look, people will use this, right? So you have to run a parallel path. And it's kind of funny because uh, it wasn't until even two or three years ago, not even, probably in the last year or two, have people even appreciated that you additional like inertia point for healthcare startups? Because they were always like pick one or the other, and the reality of it is, is healthcare startups have to run both because they have to show the buyer here. Here's what the end users are saying: this is B to B to C, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But but there's no it's it's a leader to show adoption. So when we ran Facebook ads, for example, at one point. Um, it was pretty interesting because our our uh, user acquisition costs were a third of the industry average, a quarter to a third, and there was so much word of mouth. It was it was pretty it was pretty pretty cool. Um, the question, and we even got a couple of conversions, right? But how much we we didn't get a chance to complete the experiment to figure out how much would we need to you know convert for a subscription. But, but the reality of it is, is, you know, like, you know, you're hiring someone, you're running the ads, you know, our, our price point commercially is like, it's $120 a year subscription. That's, that's more than a Kindle, right? <laughs> right? Um, less than a therapy session, but more than a Kindle, you know, um, the, the buyers, um, I don't know. And, or you might get, we, we always get a subscriptions that'll last like maybe two or three months, which is fine. Oh. Right. Which is fine too. We have a monthly and, and that's okay. We want to be available for folks, but, but as a business, mm-hmm. that's not going to give you sustainable revenue. And again, the amount of marketing that you need to, to put into it, it, it's, it's substantial unless, it, you know, we can get and generate buzz and word of mouth, but, but what's the conversion? And a lot of these other companies, typically the consumer space, especially when it's app-based or digital or of some sort, some sort of digital service, 
their assumption and just like games, their assumption is, is you've got a bunch of people who like active users who don't pay. And so your trick is to keep these guys on the platform and active. And then a couple of them will pop up, right? That would be your super fans. And those are the ones that are going to spend tons of money, but like what tons of money are they going to spend? here? <laughs> like, yeah, I get that. I don't really want to start upselling people. Like maybe it's different expansion packs, right? Breathing exercises or other things to do and learn, right? You know, you can imagine those kinds of things, but it's it's a, that's a that's a whole different undertaking. Whereas if you go enterprise, now you, again you have to answer things differently. You have to have different protocols in place. You know. It, in consumer privacy is is absolutely a concern. But if you're working with a health system or insurance, right, then you, you definitely need to think about HIPAA. Employers definitely do not, contrary to popular belief, they do not want to see personal information of their employees, right? They what they want to do is excuse me, um, what they want to do is get information so they can be responsive to their employees, right? So, but, you know, we need to talk about that and how are we offering that? And then there's different questions about how do you deploy? How do you scale? How easy is it to implement? Um, so those are the things that um, need, uh, that you have to answer on the enterprise side. But it gets you, it helps. And, and mind you, a lot of digital health companies, especially in the mental health care space now, are uh, targeting employers. So, so it's a very, very competitive and crowded space and that being said um we hear time and time again that um this solution is like nothing that people have seen before um even in the crowded space um and when they look at our numbers and metrics and how we're able to perform against industry standards um it's it, it I, I had a i was on a customer call just yesterday and they're like it's against the, mind you the benchmarks it's it's not that not that uh, uh, high of a hurdle to overcome right but the benchmarks but this one employer was saying you know we we have tried a lot of things employees don't use use it but we know they're struggling um, you know so they're concerned their concern is that if they offer something they want people to use it right. It's like, why am I going to like, right? Like if you buy something for yourself, you know, whether it's an app or a, a Peloton bike or, you know, that new, new, new gadget for your kitchen, I think most people will be, most, most will be like, well, am I going to use it? Is it worth the investment? Right. And the employer's going to ask the same thing. So they want to make sure people are using it. And they're saying, you know, we've tried a lot of different solutions and, and no one's adopting it. Um, and then when I showed them the results of what we were able to do for another client, they were like, oh, wow, that's pretty impressive. Um, so I want to just make sure that this, this point is kind of clear, but from what I'm hearing, the difference between kind of building something from the enterprise from that side versus going straight from business to consumer on that side is you might not have as faster explosive growth on the enterprise side, but what you have is a more sustainable and consistent revenue model that depends a little bit less on user acquisition and marketing. Yeah. And okay. right. 
And, and here's the other important point. Your lifetime value of your consumer has to be higher than your customer acquisition cost. So, mm-hmm. like, for example, when they call them whales in games, right? They'll spend mm-hmm. thousands, right? I was on a, uh, I was talking to someone and he's like, yeah, I, uh, he knew someone who spent $30,000 on a game. Okay. That's an extreme. Um, on another note, I was on Twitter. Don't ask me why this showed up in my feed, but um, there was uh, uh, the Kim Kardashian mobile game. That's how she actually got started, was. Yeah. Right? I remember that one. Yeah. Well, it's still going. <laughs> and. And, and, uh, literally just, this was a very, this is like within the last week, but Twitter was like, I've spent hundreds of dollars on it. Right. <clears throat> so what are you benchmarking against? Like, and, and what's, what's the average lifetime revenue of the user? So, and, and, um, in consumer, like for most apps, it's just really hard to recoup those costs. Like the willingness to pay doesn't cover the cost to get the user. Gotcha. Generally, that makes sense. Okay. Right. Yeah, that math equation doesn't add up. Right. It just it. I haven't been able to see it add up. Um. You know, and I've got some friends who are really smart. Um. You know. Um. And actually, I had one friend who was a, a partner in McKinsey. Mm-hmm. He's a really smart guy. Um, went to business school with him. I also did my MBA at the University of Chicago. And um, so I, and you know, he's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm doing my my app, and you know, hanging out, doing lights bright, and you know, just grinding it out." And, you know, and he starts asking all these kinds of questions and stuff. And then at that point, and I didn't know this, right? Um, But I guess he was just kind of interviewing me and doing his due diligence to see if maybe he wants to invest. Doesn't tell me this, right? But okay, that's fine. And, and, you know, I'm, I I don't want to say I'm naive, but I'm, I'm not one of these people who like, I just don't have time and I don't, my mind is not hardwired to be like, well, what's their angle and try to figure out what they're doing. I'm like, Oh, he wants to talk and he wants to talk about, it. okay, fine. Right. Like here it is. <laughs> and at one point, you know, and, and I remember this, I was getting pushed by a lot of people several years ago to go direct to consumer. I was getting pushed by a lot of people, even some of my strategics, um, uh, strategic investors. So we, in, in Light Sprite, we have, uh, now we have five, um, at the time we had four, but, um, and so our strategics include AARP, they include Bayer Pharmaceuticals, it includes, uh, NextCube, Jumpstart Foundry, Tabula Rasa. Okay. So, um, and, and, you know, now mind you, None of these people where I was getting these, this direction from super smart, highly qualified, worked in, you know, great companies with great positions. None of them ever built anything. 
or launched anything. And everything of their advice was what they were reading and seeing. It was very academic. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I just went through this math in my head about how the hell are you going to make money? <laughs> right. Because again, I want a sustainable business. So, um, and especially in the reason, another reason I have to do that as a woman of color, raising money is always a challenge. So I have to be sustainable. I was sustainable. going to ask you about that. Yeah. So I have to do that on my own. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and then, you know, and then I always get the, oh, well, you're not selling it easy enough or you're just not a good salesperson or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that might be the case. And, and if that is the case, then there's even more reason that I need to make it more sustainable on my own. Right. If I'm a mm-hmm. shitty salesman, okay, fine. Then that's even more reason. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Why? If, if I have that weakness, then let's solve the weakness another way rather than, you know, uh, upping my my showmanship skills or whatever presentation skills or whatever it is. Right. Um, which I don't really think is the case, frankly, but um, we're not going to go there. Um, so so um, so he so I'm getting a lot of this advice, especially around this time. And it was very, very frustrating for me because. You know, I'd ask these people and then I get these weird questions too, like, well, can you scale? And, you know, I'm a technologist and I'm like, it's on the app store. So when someone tells me and asks me that question about scale, I think, can you reach, can your technology support? Will the infrastructure crumble or break down? Do you have uh, breakpoints, right? Or or response time gaps, right? Like. Mm-hmm that kind of stuff. Does the app crash, right? Is there UI UX issues that make it hard for people to onboard, like very product centric stuff, um, backend stuff. And, and I'm like, what, what are they talking about scale? I'm like, I'm like, we're global and we have global users. Like what? So, so then, um, so I'm, this is going to come together in a second. Um, it wasn't until, so this was like three or two, right before the pandemic, 20, 2019 or so, right? 2019, right? And and it wasn't until this past few months ago, did I realize what some of these people were asking about? Because I think I asked about it or somehow it came up. When they talk about ability to scale, they were talking about the fact that you didn't raise, I haven't raised in their minds, mind we didn't raise enough money. Ability to scale means have you raised enough money Mm -hmm. to grow your team? And as far as they were concerned, yeah. And, And so when you hear a question and you don't understand what the hell they're talking about, ask them. Because I have never heard up until this point, now mind you, right? This was just this, I've been doing this for nine years. I've never heard an investor talk about uh, ability to scale translating into how much money have you already raised so can you grow (laughs) yeah that's an interesting metric to use i i was going this actually leads in quite nicely but i was going to ask you and this is obviously i mean this this follows along the same lines but you have been working on lights and working in kind of startups for a bit now how has how have investor relations changed as a woman of color and even just even just in the environment in general? Because we had obviously an explosion in tech growth 
in the early 2010s. And it, you're right, it was totally all about growth. It was how fast can you grow? How fast can you grow? It was not about sustainable revenue models at all. Oh, and, I, I, I call it the stuffing the goose theory. <laughs> but how has how have things like changed over time? And what has been better, worse, different that you've seen? And especially for people who are looking for funding right now, what are some of the good things and some of the challenges? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll get to that in a second. Can I finish the other story too? I know yeah, it's totally circular. But yeah. But but the other thing, so I was getting this from friends, right? I'm getting this from friends. I'm getting like, go to direct to consumer. And my one friend then finally tells me, and this will also segue into this next question. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, then he finally re- reveals his cards. Well, I was thinking of I was going to invest in you, but I don't think you have a business model. And I think you're going <laughs> to I think you're going to fail. Oh. And, and about... Two months later, we got our strategic investor from uh, investment from Bayer. Wow! And, and 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 had I followed the guidance and advice from all these well-meaning but frankly people who just really didn't understand the space we're in and what we were trying to do, um, I wouldn't have been positioned to get that strategic investment. Hmm. Because we did a lot of clinical validation, um, we had done a lot of work on how does how do you get paid, um, the back end and the data, right? I mean, and as a result, now we had won at that point like twenty five global health innovation awards. Now we're over thirty, um, including mm-hmm. the first video game to win a Surgeon General award, right? And mm-hmm. mind you, you know that he was one of the first, right? But I continue to get these kinds of comments from people. Mm-hmm. Um, right. right. And it was a constant diversion, frankly. And, and it was a tax because it was diverting my attention from what I really needed to do, um, which was growth business. Um, and so how have I seen things change? Well, I mean, some of this is really personal, right? Like some of this is going to be so dependent on the individual where you're coming from, how, how, you know, just frankly, your style and how people react to the style, right? So, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty gregarious, as you can kind of pick up. Um, I'm pretty I, had, I had an idea that you might be. <laughs> I'm not a very reserved person to begin with. Um, it's beca- I've become less reserved. You know, when I was in corporate, I could, you know, button it up and I can still snap into it, right? Um, but the time, the time constant on that has gotten much less <laughs> to button it up, so to speak. Um, no, but, but, you know, I, I'm pretty gregarious and fairly approachable. I, I don't take myself too seriously. Um, you, you can, if you're doing what we're doing, right. And I'm, I'm fairly empathetic, right. Um, I, I think for a lot of people that. For a lot of people in the business context, there's a, a, and I got this more in corporate that, oh, she's superficial, she's frivolous, she's not serious. And that was far from the truth, right? Like, if you look at my background, the organizations I've worked at, you look at the, the schools I've gone to, the performances I've, the performance I've driven for those organizations, the best practices I've set up. Um, the recognition I've gotten, um, that's far from the case. 
I just don't need to wear it on my sleeve as a badge of honor saying, hey, here I am. I'm more interested in learning from people and I'm more interested in contributing rather than um, you know, talking about the stuff I've accomplished. So, um, so I think, so some of this, so this is just context to say, what I'm gonna share is probably, it, it may or may not apply to others, right? Because I have a very different personality. Um, mm -hmm. I, I grew up in engineering. Right. So I was always surrounded by guys. Some of them are asshats, but a lot of them are really nice. And and for the most part, you know, I had some challenges, like the traditional challenges that a woman engineer would have. And, you know, I started my career in manufacturing at Kodak, for example, working on like, like I was really fascinated again by manufacturing. They had this really cool automated robotic line assembling cameras, the little disposable cameras, which I guess are retro now. Um, so, um, but, but, you know, and I just thought that was like the bee's knees at that time. And, and, and that was a tough environment. Um, I that was that really was tough. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, I've got some, you know, a thicker skin potentially, um, I would say I'm very objective in my, uh, again, very processed analytical. So I'm very systems, uh, very objective in my decision-making process, my judgment, right? So I'm going to bring that to the table. Um, so, so, um, so when I started, I did not have any delusions. Like I just assumed I wasn't going to, no one was going to give me money. Like that was my blanket assumption when I launched. Um, there weren't that many women of color launching companies in 2014, um, right? Let alone in healthcare. I mean, and it started happening, right? Which is great, right? And I'm glad I'm at least part of that cohort and not even earlier on because it would have been even more difficult. Um, I think, I think, but even then, uh, you know, I was trying to network. I'm in Seattle, so I was trying to network uh, in the community there. Uh, it's a community that understands business enterprise software really well. Um, healthcare was something which, to my mind, I didn't really understand why they would shy away from it. It made no sense to me personally, but it was just something they were very hesitant to delve into. Um, at the time, if there was healthcare investments, it was med devices. Digital health was still new. And frankly, it was dismissed. It was a rather, even, even the healthcare investors here, oh, well, that's not a real, like, and even today, frankly, I, I am still, uh, it's still frustrating to see how it's still not considered, at least in this region, um, a separate, uh, it's, a, it's acknowledged as a separate vertical within healthcare. Um, even though the rest of the country and the rest of the world kind of has figured that out. <laughs> um, that seems to be a, a challenge here for this region. And so when I was launching, I would go around. Um, I had not in my career, I had had leadership roles. I had just started to get into some of the management roles as well. Right. Early on in my career, I was actually, I had, a, I was on a fast track and then, the recession hit 
two recessions hit, right? Or no, it was the one. And that just kind of derailed everything, right? And so then I had to like rebuild from that point. And in corporate, that was also one of my frustrations is that I wasn't being seen. Um, my accomplishments, my capability, I wasn't being seen. Um, I was also in very hyper-competitive environments and I just didn't do well. I don't like, I didn't like it. Um, I don't like hyper-competitive environments. I've been in enough of them and that's not the way I want to spend my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> again, I'm a builder. I get that. Right. And, and that you don't build things by competing against people. So um, it wasn't uh, an environment that, and that's, and I think that was one thing. So I think when I launched my journey, there was elements of myself that frankly, I needed to also address, you know, and heal to some extent. And, and as a CEO, here's the thing, as a CEO, whether you like it or not, you are the face of the company. And if you cannot present in a way that gives people that sense of confidence, um, the sense that you are, you have the ability to handle complexity, you know, they're not, um, it, it's, and you have to, and with a woman of color, you have to even over rep, right? But keep in mind, at that time, I have this crazy idea too. I want to put games in healthcare and I'm going to do like this thing around mental health. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, everybody was like, I, I would literally get, this is never going to work. So there's a function of the idea and where I'm at. Right. And so mm -hmm. you're going to get skepticism and dismissiveness and there'll always be some reason. Oh, well, it's a crowded space. So they're going to dismiss you. Oh, well, it's been done before and it failed. So they'll dismiss you. I've never heard this. And then they'll dismiss you. Right? Like, they're going to give you some reason. And it wasn't until I consistently started performing. Um, people's reactions started changing, but also um, I realized that for myself, um, there were a lot of, there were even some friends of mine, they would, they didn't treat, like they would, the way they would react to me I mean, you know, then I actually had to ask myself these questions where, and I had actually internalized this, and now this is a really interesting story, but I, at one point I started asking myself, if, if, if there were, if there were a guy, if I was a guy, would they talk to me this way? Would they ask these kinds of questions? And if the question was, was if I didn't, if I couldn't say definitively no, then I'm like, wait a minute, there's something going on, right? Because I'm also, mm -hmm. I've worked with men all my life been around that's not and in some intense environments so like that wasn't the case right but there was this i call it the concept of presumption of competence and that wasn't happening it was very rare and 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 like i had one and i had internalized it so much that i was interviewing a marketing candidate one time and i was telling him about you know at this point we'd run about maybe five or five four or five reports right? like, <laughs> And, and I was telling him, and, you know, we got some great patient stories and stuff. We had launched our beta. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really lucky that I've, you know, gotten this far. And he's like, you're not lucky, you're skilled. I had, a, I had it took a white guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then I realized, okay, I'm not even owning it myself. 
And so, um, and, and I also stopped associating with people who weren't going to give me the time of day. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll see you later. I don't have time for you. But I got, I got, I got done. Like some people will talk about that tenacity, right? And I talked about this in a Kaufman video. I got, I'm like, no, I, I, I'm of the ilk, find your tribe. Don't try to convince people who don't want to be convinced, find your tribe. And, and work on, and, and be tenacious in the problem you're solving. Don't be tenacious in trying to convince people. Right. And so, so I just literally have no patience. I, I, I suffer fools even less. Um, what I've seen, um, I've seen um, women and even in myself now, I'm much more comfortable talking about the challenges I've had. I have no issue. Like if I were to bring them up in 2013, they'd look like you're making excuses. And now right. people are starting to understand. Yeah, right. They're beginning to understand it. Um, you know, and 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 it also took you know, and and look, in fairness, I it's it's a brand new concept. It was a brand new idea. I needed to move mm-hmm. out. Um, right. And 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 to do that, I had to find my tribe. But that meant I went global to find my tribe because mm-hmm. uh-huh. my tribe wasn't here where I lived. Yeah, well, and, and I think we, at least the world seems more receptive to that lately. I want to kind of, um, I want to summarize what we've talked about so far so we can end. I think you've given so many pieces of wisdom, but there's a specific question I like to ask at the end of every episode that that uh, is, is a chance for you to just kind of summarize everything that you've said so far and wrap it up. So let me start by talking about, we, we began with the discussion on Light Sprite and the development of Cinesprite. Uh, Cinesprite is a way to become a Zen master by leading Socks through an adventure. Socks the Fox is the main character, which I love. Great, great name, great character. And the whole goal of Cinesprite is to teach skills by actually doing. So you're able to learn journaling, breathing, meditation, gratitude, practice, some other things that can help you actually deal with stress and difficult mental health environments without specifically talking about those environments, but rather by doing things that actually help alleviate some of the issues that people may be feeling. Um, we talked a lot about healthcare startups and how you are one that is started at the enterprise level. So Cinesprite works with employers to get the product to employee, which is one way you can be a healthcare startup. You also mentioned that you do have a direct B2C model as in you have an app on the app store that's available for purchase. But that when it comes to those models, user acquisition can be really tough. And often you're spending more on actually getting users onto the platform than their willingness to pay. So it can be helpful to have a really solid kind of revenue stream through enterprise level development that gives you good footing, that gives you the chance to develop uh, and to do R&D without having the pressure of, of growth, 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 needing to get users, needing to figure out that monetization strategy. Uh, we also talked about how it can be definitely challenging to get investments in healthcare and being a woman of color compounds that issue. Um, for you, it took a lot of, of reaching, well, I mean it, it also took a lot of you not knowing when you were being interviewed for investments, but um, it, it took it took knowing the market, knowing your vision for what the market needed and sticking by that and finding the right strategic investors to actually go for that, which meant maybe different than an, a straight up VC type of investor. It meant going for the strategic and the, and the corporate investors instead. 
Um, but that was a way for you to stay true to your vision and mission. And we also talked about how staying true to your vision and your mission meant not working with people who won't presume confidence, not working with people who didn't believe in you, saying goodbye to all of that and moving forward to finding people who actually did. So with all that on the table, the thing that I like to end with is a moment of reflection. So what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry, but also the health and technology sector and being successful? Um, I think, I think the biggest thing um, in terms of success for anybody is giving, especially in the world we're in today, um, it's very tumultuous, highly uncertain. There's something new happening every day, um, more so than before, right? And, and you know, you and I were talking as we were prepping on this call, it's just how much the pandemic has really significantly impacted our lives, right? Um, and, just, and, and just to be aware of the environment that you're working in. It's really not, we're not back to where it was. And I don't think we're ever going to go back. So from that perspective, if you're looking at embarking on something new, um, make sure you're giving yourself the time to pause. But also what's really, really important and what has helped me in the past is have somebody that you can um and have someone that is is on the journey a similar pathway as yourself because being a founder if you don't have a co-founder which i don't a lot of people have co-founders which can play that role um but if you don't it's very isolating and it's very, it's 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 a struggle there's you're under a lot of pressure you're you're, you're stretched in about 10 different ways so it's important to have a, a, a network or somebody that you can say, hey, this is where I'm, you know, a safe place, if you will, where you can just really be vulnerable. Like that's going to be really important. I didn't realize how isolating it was. And a lot of founders talk about that. Um, and so that get your network set up that way, or at least start building it. Uh, get your finances in order make sure you can handle this journey uh, be prepared to make those lifestyle changes start living an entrepreneur lifestyle six months before you get out if you're thinking about it and see if you're okay with that like that means not eating out that means eating at home avocado toast is actually very cheap to make at home and very nutritious <laughs> Uh, it's it's not a shishi thing. It's very healthy and very cheap. Um, you know, um, you know, say goodbye to you know, you know, splurging on you know if you're buying you know shoes if you're a shoe girl or a, a bag. I mean, have one or two things, luxury items, right? But you know, be prepared. Are you willing to give up your credit score so you can't buy a new house? I can't. My credit's shot. <laughs> I can't buy a house. If I wanted to buy a new house, I couldn't do that. I have a shitty credit card because I don't have an income, right? Like I haven't had a, a, an appreciable income. Um, that's the realities of a, a founder of color, at least. 
Um, mm-hmm. Even if you get funding, right? Like, let's say they give you, you're not going to pay yourself market rate. You know, you might, you might pay yourself 100K, 120K, maybe. But in this day and age, that's not a lot. Right? If, if that, right? So, um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that you need to think about. Because it's if you're going to do this, or even in games, you got to be prepared mentally, but you have to be prepared financially, right? And then just and, and be comfortable with that lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? If you go to shows and concerts, you know, or budget accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. Yeah, that's really salient. Uh, yeah, it, it takes a lot of gumption to start something. So having a good support network and uh, being prepared is really important. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it is. So um, thank you for the opportunity to talk today. Thank you. Hey, I'm supposed to say that first. I was just going to say that. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you, follow you, learn more about Light Sprite? Plug everything. Sure. Um, so we have a website, lightsprite.com, L-I-T-E-S-P-R-I-T-E.com. So you can learn more about us there. Um, we have a YouTube channel with some uh, contents and webinars and other stuff and pitches we've done. Um, we also are on Twitter at, at Lightsprite Games. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's my first and last name, at Swathi Survey. Um, as well, we have a LinkedIn page, a Light Sprite LinkedIn page, and a Facebook page as well. So we're not Insta people, just and also just given all the adverse health things that Instagram does, we don't yeah. not really into the. I, get that. I don't think socks would look good with the filter. So, <sighs> so it's funny. I think socks look good no matter what. Um, for all the listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews. It helps other people find us. Check out other holodeck media podcasts, including Meta Business and Business of Esports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Foss. You can catch me Wednesday afternoons on the Business of Esports Live After Show. You can catch this podcast in your feed every week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.